something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and a silver sixpence in a shoe. Yeah. Uh, Well-known Bible verse. Um, <laughs> but anyways, we started about something old and something new. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cover that. Uh, it's all recorded somewhere. I assume it's online. There you go, it's all online. Uh, it was good, enjoy it, listen to it. Uh, so, and I, I kind of started off talking about something borrowed. I want to really build on that this morning, and then maybe next week we'll get onto something blue and silver sixpences. Uh, but for now, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10 to 12, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So there's this idea of how you bring life to other people, how you bring healing to other people, is often through your own pain and brokenness. Because for somebody else to live, somebody else has to die. That's just kind of how it works. That's what it means when he talks about someone dying and somebody living. For somebody to receive, somebody has to give. For someone to be fed, somebody has to provide food. For someone to be inspired, which literally means life breathed into you, somebody has to breathe life out of them. And so whenever somebody somewhere benefits, somebody somewhere has paid something. And, and Paul, at the beginning of the year, talked about this journey of selfishness to selflessness. And the truth is that many people live and other people's dying. And the book I need for this bit is in my office, so I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> I forgot about this. This book, by the way, re-read it if you've not already read it. All right? It really is the foundation of everything we believe. Paul wrote it, and it's called The Blueprint of Life. If you've not read it, or you've not read it in a few years, go back over it. It's like, if you want to know the foundation of everything that we understand and believe, this is it. Oh, I'm shattered. <laughs> All that dancing last night tired me out. This is a bit, Paul referenced it on um, Sunday. It's a bit that Isaac writes. So Isaac leads the church in America that we relate to. And Isaac writes this. There were many times I didn't understand how loved I was as a son and how I was truly cared for. I went into a meeting with Paul feeling tense and came out feeling fantastic like I was on top of the world. After a while, I realized I was borrowing his love and peace. These things were a part of who he is. Not things he acted like he had, but actually part of the makeup of his character. They weren't, though, part of my character yet. So I would effectively borrow them from them. After a while, these on-top-of-the-world feelings would fade, and I would wonder, where did they go? It was a great frustration. But eventually, I learned that this love that he had became mine. I no longer needed to borrow it from Paul. I could now lend it to others. So instead of giving something to others that I borrowed... I'm able to give love and peace to others that is my own. Now, I can totally relate to that sense that he, that he speaks about. I was the same. I would borrow those things initially, that sense of security and peace and calm and wisdom and all the rest. And, 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 but eventually, you have to go on a journey. You realize that when you borrow things like that, you can't pass them on because they're not yours. 
You can only experience it and enjoy it, but you can't give it out. And so I went on this journey of learning, well, how do I do that? I have to, I have to own these qualities. I don't want to borrow them because, I, A, I don't want it to fade two days later. I want to be able to sit at home and enjoy it for myself. But, B, I want to be able to give it out. I want to share it with somebody else. I want to give it to somebody else. And really, that's, the, that's our challenge for this year more and more because a lot of us live on somebody else's dying. What I mean by that is their sacrifice means they have something, they carry something that's beautiful and wonderful, and then we enjoy it and experience it. And that's okay, that's good. But at some point, you have to own that which you borrowed so you can give it to somebody else. And again, this is the theme that I'm going to keep coming back to again and again and again, that in the past, we've prospered because others have sacrificed, but it's time we make those self-same sacrifices so other people can prosper. It's meant to keep flowing all the time. There's meant to be a flowing where you prosper because of somebody else and somebody else prospers because of you and then somebody else. That's how the thing grows in reality. So we could say this, it's time that you own the security you borrow so you can pass that security on to somebody else. It's time you own the peace you borrow so you can pass that peace to somebody else. It's time you own the acceptance you borrow so you pass on that acceptance to somebody else. It's time you own the grace. It's time, whatever it is that you borrow, now is the time for you to start owning it. Like you've never owned it before. Because yeah. even if you already own it, you can get more of it. So wherever you're at on this journey, whether you feel like you borrow everything or whether you feel like you own quite a lot, there's always more to own. Yeah. You can always grow in it. There's always more grace to be had. There's always more compassion. There's always more love. There's always more security. There's always more self-worth. There's always more. Which is great because it doesn't matter where you're at on this journey, you're all going on it. And it doesn't really matter in one sense where you start. It matters that you're going on the journey. We get so obsessed about the destination, we forget to enjoy and celebrate the journey. I'm going to talk about that more in a bit. So you have to work hard at owning these things, though. If these things were easy, everybody would have them. If it was easy to own peace and grace and love, you'd walk around and this world would not look like this world looks like. It looks like it does because people don't own it because they've either not been taught or the other thing is they can't be bothered. But... You're going to be bothered because it's important for you and for everybody around you. So it starts with realizing. So I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about the practical hows now. How do you start to own some of this stuff? And I'm going to use various images, pictures, metaphors. I'm going to try and not mix them up. Um, I'm going to say it's like this. I'm going to say it's like that because that's pretty much what Jesus did and it seemed to work for him. We're going to talk about warehouses and lions and swords and poisons and roars. And my hope is that in amongst all that, something will stick and you'll get it, okay? Um, so we're going to start off with this. Um, see, when you said yes to Jesus, when you come to know Jesus, it's like you were given the keys to a warehouse full of everything that you need. That's the reality. As soon as you say yes to him, he goes, okay, now you're in this massive warehouse, and it is piled high with absolutely everything that you need to live an abundant, wonderful, fantastic life. It's all there. The thing is, though, things don't just fall off the shelf because God don't want to hit you on the head with anything. You have to go take it. And I'll show you this in the Word, that actually you don't just, you don't just walk in, sit down, and somebody else goes and gets it for you. You walk past people in this warehouse who have already gone and got things off this shelf, and then you get to experience it a little bit. But the, the kind of reservoir of it sits on the shelf, if you like. 
Now I'm really mixing metaphors. I've got reservoirs on shelves. But anyway, the, the box of it sits on the shelf, and you've got to actually take that moment to go and get. Now, of course, there isn't an actual warehouse. It's an analogy. But there are, there are some things you can do to grab these things. Because, of course, these things are they're intangible. But really, they're not. They're tangible because you've seen them in people. You've seen them in people around you who carry these things. And I want you to think now, it could be something internal, it could be something external. If it's going to help you live this life in a good way, and I'm primarily thinking internal because that's what I think about all the time, but it might be stopping doing something that's unhelpful and unhealthy. It might be starting doing something that's healthy. It might be the way you think. It might be the way you act. It could be all sorts of things. But whatever it is that you need, God's got. I have no doubt about that. God's got everything that you need to live a full, prosperous, healthy, incredible life because that's what he designed you to do. The question is whether you're going to take it or not. Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 13. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many of the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand by the shore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So there's keys in here as to how you do this. First of all, verse 8, Abraham obeyed. That's the first thing. What God told him to do, we did. And when he had some instruction, he followed it. So this morning, there's some instruction coming out, and somewhere in that is the Word of God. And somewhere in that is the Holy Spirit. And somewhere this morning, you'll hear some instructions. Of course, it's entirely up to you. You can go, well, I think they're a lot of tosh. Well, okay, that's fine. You might think there's a better way. Try it. If it works, tell me. But if you, if you don't know any other way, it might make sense to have a go at trying out the instruction. Because that's what actually leads you to life. That's what really gets you to life. He says, dwelling with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So Abraham, and Abraham's this story in the Old Testament, is on this journey of uh, learning who this God is from a very pagan culture he comes out of that to understand who God is as a, as a single God which is completely revolutionary for the time but it says to help him on this journey he hung around with others of the promise he didn't go it alone he didn't think he could be a one man band he had people around him who could remind him and encourage him this is key you cannot do this on your own there's absolutely no way you can do it on your own neither can you do it with just one two or three people you need a whole bunch of people around you. In fact, you need a whole family around you. That's the reality of it. There's simply no way I would be here, being the person I am, without a whole ton of other people. It's not just Paul or Faye or a few. It's like a whole ton of other people that at various times, in various ways, have helped me, encouraged me, provoked me, blessed me, annoyed me, and got me on the journey. Because sometimes it's those people that really annoy you that take you furthest on the journey. And we do stupid things like leave. Of course, some people input more than others. Not everyone knows everything, but in various ways, there's, I, I, I couldn't even begin to count how many people there are 
that have helped me get where I am. Why is that? Why did all those people help me? Because I helped them. I invested in them. I gave to them. I responded to them. I reached out to them. So it's not hard for them to reach out back to me. When they said, can you help me? I went, yeah. When they sent me a text, I didn't ignore them. I text back. Or I tried to, if I could remember. I didn't always get it perfectly right. But, but that's the thing, you see. When it didn't get perfectly right, we didn't give up on each other. We carried on. You, you don't know some of the journeys I've been on with some of the people in this house. But they've not been beautiful. I mean, they have been beautiful, because now they are beautiful, but they've not been easy, let's put it that way. They've not been easy. But I stuck at them, and they stuck at them. They stuck with me, which says something about them. I mean, it really does say something about them. They chose to stick with me, chose to work through those difficulties, not, not run away, and chose to learn to forgive one another again and again and again and again and again. Learn to be humble enough to say sorry. When you start to be able to do that, then you can walk this walk because you, you get all these people who are on your side and are with you. It's a beautiful thing. But too many of us want everybody else to do that. Well, we don't. Well, it don't work like that. He just doesn't. Eventually, you have to step up and you have to build relationships and you have to reach out and you have to forgive and you have to say sorry. That's how it works. But there's this thing, we've got, we've got to walk with people. Heirs of the same promise. And you are all heirs of the same promise that God gave us. That's why life groups, discipleship groups are so important. That's why meeting together, communicating, talking. And then it says, verse 10, he waited. He waited. Oh, it's so difficult to wait, isn't it? Yeah. I've seen lots of faith churches, but I've not seen many patience churches. It's like they only read half at verse. Isn't it? He says there, faith and patience. Sometimes it takes time. In fact, nearly all the time it takes time. And we give up way too easily. It's taken me years to get some of the things I carry now. Years. Years of constant hard work and perseverance and pushing through to be the man I am today. And I keep on pushing, pushing, because I've still got so much to learn. And there's still like so much more of Jesus that I've got to reflect that I don't currently reflect. So much more. This is the other thing we've got to do. Oh, we've got to take a longer-term view of our journey. So many of us, at the amount of times I talk to people or I get texts off, oh, it's been a terrible two hours. Okay, well, a day lasts 24, so that's 22 good hours, isn't it? And a week, seven days, which is even more hours. But it's amazing. It, it amazes me how easily we allow ourselves to hit the floor because we had one bad afternoon... When we've had a, the rest of the week, you know, we're, we're fighting this thing. We're trying not to do this thing. Or we are trying to, we're trying to eat healthy. And then one day we have a bar of chocolate. Oh, the whole week's falling apart. It's a complete disaster. No, it's not. It's not. You had six good days. Six and a half good days. Why don't we celebrate the six and a half instead of pull ourselves there and only half? Why do we do that? Why? It don't make any sense to me. We allow this, oh, I failed so miserably. You really am. You're doing well. And that's why you need other people to remind you of that. Because naturally, we look at our failures, not our successes. But one of the things we've got to do, we've got to learn to celebrate success better. We've got to learn to celebrate success. We're rubbish at celebrating success, generally. And we think success is getting to the destination. No, success is getting through the day. Better than you got through last week. 
Success is today I beat this thing. Success is this afternoon I beat this thing. But we think, well, I can't, I can't testify about it until I've completely conquered it. All right, well, let's wait five years then. Well, it'd be wonderful in five years' time, but what about just going, this week, I did great. Shouldn't we celebrate these things more and more? Celebrate one another in these things more and more? We've got to learn to do this more. We need that encouragement. We've got to learn to celebrate the victories. So it says, having seen them afar off, we're okay, fair, I need your help now. Will you just stand at, stand at the back there for me? Sorry, I didn't tell you about this. I just, I'm just trying to... Okay, so... So, it says, having seen them afar off... Oh, there we go. We're assured of them and abreast of them. So, whatever it is you are, like, fighting for, whatever it is you wanting to beat, whatever it is you want to give up or start, or whatever it is you're looking for, the right thing says it's like this. This is how you do it. You see them afar off. So, I'm seeing fire afar off now, okay? So, and I'm actually going to talk about, at the end, I'm going to show you something I did as a declaration because I knew she was out of my league. Like, I knew she was Premier League and I was like, I won't even conference. I was like, <laughs> there were just nowhere, okay? But, so, but, but uh, nice, no, I'll, I'll show you. I, had to, I actually learned. I knew that God had given me a great gift. I didn't know God had given her a great gift in me. I didn't understand it. I couldn't see it at all. I didn't, I didn't get it. And I'll, I'll, so that's one of my journeys from a few years ago that I'm going to share with you how I actually got there. But this is great. So, so first of all, and it can, let, let's just use fair as fair, all right? But it might, be, it might be a sense of affirmation. It might be a sense of acceptance. It might be stopping doing something. First of all, you've got to see it. Because if you don't see it, you can't get it, can you? You've got to go, okay, that's it. And then you've got to know that you, you're able to chase it down. You're able to pursue it and you want it. So first of all, you're going to see it. And for some reason, we have this amazing ability to decide that what's for everybody else isn't for us. We are so good at disqualifying ourselves, aren't we? We're really good at, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. Except it says nowhere in this book that it's not for you, does it? It talks about all things. It talks about everybody. It talks, it's like all, 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 all. We, you've got to kill that nonsense that says it's not for you and it's only for somebody else. Oh, that's just for Adam. Oh, that's just for Pharaoh. That's just for Paul. That's just for Sansa. No, it's all. It's for you. Yes. All right. Yes. I want you to say it. It's for me. Whatever it is, it's for you. You can have it, but you've got to see it. If you don't see it, you're never going to embrace it. You're never going to be able to chase it down and actually grab it. So first of all, you have to go, no, this is mine, and I'm going to take it. Okay? So first of all, you have to see it. And then, eventually, you, you just did it. Eventually, oh, swords are burning. <laughs> so, so, first of all, you have to see it. And as you see it, you have to go, okay, that's something I can get. I can achieve that. That can be mine, that thing. I know, whatever it is, I can have it. And as you do it, you become more and more assured of it. And that thing don't move. But you move towards it because you go, no, I can. That's mine. I might be worthy. It might be all right. And then eventually you get close to it and you can actually embrace it. <laughs> I just wanted a cuddle, really. <laughs> Thanks, Bess. But eventually, so... The, the thing you were chasing, the thing you wanted, it didn't move. It stayed right there. But as you first saw it and went, no, I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing it in my eye. And that might mean 
That might mean you draw something. It might mean you write something. It might mean you paint something. It might mean you have a piece of music. Whatever it is that helps you see whatever it is you want and you're believing for and that God's got for you, actually make something out of it. Generally, I've always, we've done this, even, even, yeah, we've done it in all sorts of ways as a family. Put pictures up. That's why I gave you those postcards of the outside because I wanted you to see it. Because before you see it, you can't embrace it. That's why I love the fact it's there. It's there and we're going towards it and we're going to see it. It's just exactly the same. No idea where I am in these notes now. Um, there we go. This is it. The whole process starts and ends with agreeing with God. In other words, it begins and ends with faith. Because in order to see, you've got to have some faith. But the word says that you have some faith on the inside of you. So you don't need to get any of that. What you need to do is use what you've got so it grows so you can go get it. Now listen, as you obey and endure, it will seem like, so when you're here, oh, stupid step, and the thing's there, it will seem like it's too far away. Yeah. And you're not embracing it so you can't feel it or sense it. There's nothing in your feelings or your senses that tells you you're going to get it. And so then these doubts come in and the fears and all that sort of stuff, and then we have a choice. Are we going to keep moving forward despite those doubts and fears and declare what we see, or are we going to give up? And that is a moment-by-moment moment fight. That's not just a one-off. That's a moment-by-moment, moment. no, I'm seeing it. And although I can't feel it or sense it, I'm believing because God said it, and therefore I'm believing it. And that's just a simple choice. It really is a choice, which means all the power's yours. It's all yours. I realize, I realize that often in our heads, the battle for these things is incredibly strong. And the voices that we hear and, and the, the, the thoughts that come in, and, and we hear all these lies that it's not for you and you can't have it. And it's like really, really powerful. But listen, you have a stronger weapon. You do have a stronger weapon. You were not defeated. You have a stronger weapon. In Ephesians 6, 17, Paul says that we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So how do you, how do you take it then? How do you take it and use it? Well, in Revelation, the word sword appears five times. Four times it comes out of the mouth of Jesus. The sword, the power, comes out of his mouth. And your mouth is your most powerful weapon in the entire universe. And I know that for two reasons. First of all, I know it because Proverbs 18 verse 21 says this, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. Words kill. Words give life. And I think we know this about other people, but we, I've been listening really intently to what people have been saying. It is incredible how many people poison their own lives with their own speech. And sometimes they do it jokingly, and sometimes I think it's funny, but I've started pulling people up on it. Because I won't allow you to poison your own life. Because I love you. And we need to pull one another up on it. Even when, you know, even when we manage to... You know, I know you ladies always have this thing of saying how each other look. But generally, you then put yourself down. Stop it. Slap each other if you do it. Why? Why do you have to go, oh, that's amazing. You look, oh, I wish I could look that good in that skirt. Shut up. Why would you do that? Why would you poison your own mind? I don't understand it. But we've got to help one another. We've got to help one another. Bring fruit. Bring life. It's really important. And this is what we do. Um, too many people go into these fights against all these thoughts and they keep this sword on the belt. 
And they're trying to fight with the fists. When all the time, all they have to do, I feel like to do this is open the be belt. <laughs> See a shoulder operation now. Well, not poison my shoulder. But you, you understand me. We, we're like, we've got this big sword. Let, let's like just here. And all the time, we're trying to use our fists. Well, guess why you lose? I was going to go into a sword fight with a fist. This is a long sword. Ah! <laughs> Listen, the way, the way into ownership of those things we've been talking about, whatever it is, the way to possess them is to start talking differently. And I think, I think some of us know this. We know that, okay, at certain times, but I'm talking the whole time. All the time. Because we get these prayers and these declarations, we read them in the morning, and then all through the rest of the day, we do the exact opposite and wonder why it hasn't worked. Do you understand me? It's like you've got to, all the time, and we've got to catch one another and help one another. If we know somebody's, somebody's aiming for this thing, then as soon as they go anywhere near speaking anything that agrees with you, you've got to go, oi, come on. That's called love right there. Love's passionate and love's fervent and love's pull people out of it. Love doesn't sit aside and let somebody poison themselves. How is that love? We've got to get out of some of our nice British ways of doing things and start actually fighting for one another, properly fighting for each other. Stop talking about the lack. Stop talking about what you do. I'll start declaring, proclaiming, and living as though what you want is already yours. That's called faith. You live it, you speak it, you proclaim it as though it's already yours. So, and this is a trick. And it's not really a trick because it's quite simple. But we don't ask him for anything. All right? Stop asking him for it because it's already yours. You've already in the warehouse. Start going and picking it off the shelf instead of asking him for it. If it's yours, why are you asking him? If I've given my kids something, they'll come and ask me for it. I'm going to get upset. Because I'm like, well, it's just that I've given you it. Oh, yeah, but please can I have it, Dad. Yeah, but it's in your hand. Yeah, but Dad, I want some sweets. Yeah, they're in your hand. Do you want me to pick them out of your hand and put them in your mouth? Oh, yes, please, Dad. Oh, but I can't be bothered lifting my hand to my mouth to eat the good things you've got for me. He wants us to grow up, church. He wants us to understand he wants us to see that all those things can be yours. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He used his voice. He spoke. He agreed with what God said. That was all it took to send the enemy fleeing. Just his voice. He didn't pray. He didn't even fast, although those things are wonderful things to do. He spoke and declared what God had already said. He didn't ask the devil to go. He didn't ask the devil to disappear. He didn't ask those thoughts to go. He just went, you're not part of me, and this is what God says. And that's what I'm speaking out. That's why in that, in that Bethel song we sung earlier, the one of the lines is, my weapon is a melody. It's a beautiful, beautiful line. My weapon is a melody. Why? Because that song, I love that song, because the truth of it biblically is like just awesome. It's brilliant. Because praise and using your voice is a weapon. And listen, you can read article after article on the internet about what's called neuroplasticity, which is basically the idea that your mind can be changed and that the ways you think and the ways you act can all be transformed and the way you transform it is via your voice. Except God knew it 3,000 years ago. But again, as the song suggests in that version, you have to raise your own hallelujah. You have to, you, I can't do it for you. 
I can fight for you, and others can fight for you, and we can pray for you, but ultimately you have to learn to use your own voice that you have got and that God has given you to raise your own hallelujah. Now I want to think of it a different way. Hopefully some of these metaphors will stick. Do you want to play that? Oh, I can play the video. Let's see if I can play the video. So excited to do this. We should go. interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards. We sent the news that you were dead. Peter and Evan will have gone to war. We have to help them. We will, dear one, but not alone. Climb on my back. We have far to go and little time to get there. So, it's a scene from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's Aslan being resurrected, picture of Jesus, all that. But I want to think of it differently. I want to talk about awakening the lion. Because according to the Bible, one of the names of Jesus is the Lion of Judah, which is why I wanted to see a big lion and hear him roar. And if Jesus lives in you, it means the Lion of Judah lives in you. But I think this is what it's like. And again, I'm using metaphor and allegory, so this is what it's like. It's like you provide the raw. And for a lot of us, the Lion of Judah is on the inside of us, but he's laid on the table and he's cold because you've not given him a voice. Do you get me? So it's like when she said, oh, he's cold and he's laid there, there's no power, there's no raw, because you have to give him the raw. And again, again, I, I'm not, this is not a theology, it's just I'm trying to use a parable, use a picture of what it's like. 
And for many of us, we're struggling with a situation when all the time what we need to do is give voice to the lion on the inside of us. The way to own whatever it is you want to own, to, start, to stop borrowing, is to start to give voice to it, which means you start acting as though you already have it, you thank God for it, even though you feel like you don't possess it yet. That means that is faith. Come on in, guys. Man, man, be quieter than doing that. Hey, Junior, come on in. Come on in, join us. It's fine. Hey, Asuka. Hey, Junior. So listen, I want you to remember, you don't have a pussycat on the inside of you. You have a lion. Lions roar. They don't go, meow. They're not cute. They're strong. They're powerful. They are, you know, they're called out of the king of the jungle. They're the top of the tree. A lion roars, and I believe that we all have a voice within us. We all, in fact, have a roar within us. But we have to learn and become disciplined to give a voice to the lion inside of us. And I want to finish with an example of what that might mean to make it real for you by sharing, um, as I say, a declaration that I did in a way I roared in uh, five or six years ago now. But at this stage uh, in my life, I was, I was struggling with my self-worth, particularly as a husband. I didn't feel good enough. I felt like I couldn't be the husband she needed. And I certainly felt like I didn't deserve her. So when I joke about being out of my league, that was a very real thought that I had. And that led me to act in certain ways which were unhelpful uh, to me and affair, which of course always happens. When you believe negative and untrue things, you act in ways that are not helpful. And then that causes pain and hurt. So what I did was, I did what I've just talked to you all about. I wrote down something which I would read out daily, out loud, and I'd also be conscious of my thinking. When I was going down those old roads, I'd make a very conscious effort to pull myself out and just go, no, that's not true. I'd ask fate to help me. I'd talk about Paul with it all the time. And I committed to making sure that this thing that was going on, I knew it was causing pain in me and fear. Therefore, I wasn't going to let it. I wasn't going to let it. This was me giving voice to a truth of giving a roar to the lion on the side of me. And I know now, what I read now, I know is true about me. But six years ago, I didn't know it was true. I didn't believe any of it. But now I am absolutely assured that this is true. This is what I wrote. Father, I thank you for faith. I thank you that deemed me worthy of it. And at the time, this is not how I feel. This is what God says. I don't feel any of this that I write. But notice, I don't ask anything. I just thank him. And I declare something to be true. I thank you that you deemed me worthy of it. I thank you for the incredible and miraculous way you put us together that you spoke to so many people and confirmed to so many people this was your will and good pleasure. So I'm reminding myself, God didn't just put fear with me, he put me with fear. I thank you that just as I find it easy to accept the fact that fear is good enough for me, so I choose to believe. I do it at the moment, but I choose to believe that I am good enough for her. I thank you that you didn't just find a wife for me and a mum for my children, but in that same moment, you looked for a perfect husband for fear and you chose me. Thank you that just as I know she's your choice for me, I choose to believe that I am your choice for her. Did I believe any of that when I first wrote it? No. Not a bit of it. I believe the exact opposite of it. But I knew what God had said. Because God doesn't put people together in the way that he definitely put us together if it wasn't good for both of us. God doesn't do that. Thank you that you looked on the face of the earth and found me worthy. That was a line that fear got before we even started going out was that he looked on the face of the earth and found somebody worthy. And I turned it around and went, okay, well, if she's worthy of, if she's, 
whatever it is. I turned it around anyway to make it true about me. That you stamp me with your seal. It feels good just saying it because now I'm like, oh, yes, I know this. Don't I? That you stamp me with your seal of approval and found me not wanting but worthy and approved to care for such a princess. And then I went on, Father, I'm truly sorry and asked for your forgiveness. And then I talked about all the things that I'd acted out of that were wrong and that hurt her. And, and, and. But you see, that's the sort of thing. Now, you notice, it's not, it's not Bible verses in there. But it's Bible truth in there. All of that is in the Word of God. All of it. And it's not, it's not, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not just going, well, God, you said 2 Corinthians 4, 13. What? I'm like going, no. I'm taking the Word of God and I'm making it mine. And I'm going to speak out and give a voice to what I know is on the inside of me. Because the lion on the inside of me said that from day one. There was a voice on the inside of me that spoke that from the very beginning. From the first moment, that's what God said. But I had to start agreeing with what God had already said. And unless I agreed with it and put some time and effort in, it wasn't going to happen. If I didn't do this, I'd still be here this day. I wouldn't be able to do that example because I wouldn't feel worthy enough to even act it out. But now I do. Okay. Flipping heck, this is doing me, and I'm taking it off now. Oh. But you see, it's even an interesting example, isn't it? it it's cumbersome. It's a weight. It makes life awkward. Yeah, well, so does fighting for your own life. That's what it's like. And what you realize is as you grow more and more, and you, you get filled more and more with the compassion of God, you want to fight for people's lives more and more. But you've also got to want to fight for your life. Because I can fight for you. But ultimately, you've got to raise your own. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you right now, your life is worth fighting for. Every single one of you. Your lives are worth fighting for. And if I think they're worth fighting for, then you just have to go, okay, well, I'm going to fight for it then. I'm going to fight for it. So this is what we're going to do. I want to play you a song. I've played it before a few years ago, but I want you to just listen to the words of the song. And then we're going to move into some different songs that the musicians are going to play for us. And the reason I want to do it this way is this. I want you to practice finding your voice. Okay. Because you have to do this on your own. Well, the way to practice it is to do it when we're all together. When you've even got some words to read on a screen or, or whatever. So I, w I want to encourage you. I know some of you, you don't find it easy singing. You don't find it easy standing there. But I want to encourage you. This is your moment to practice finding your voice. It's your moment to sing and speak out and declare. So if normally you, you're struggling after the first song, well, stick it out for the second. Just push further. Push through. Sing it out. Stand on a chair. Raise a flag, do whatever, stand on top of the speaker, I don't know, sit on piano, I don't know, do, what, do whatever you, Steve might not, yeah, just on the end of it. But, like, do you know what I mean, like, you have to, this is a moment, this is a moment where you can actually launch into doing something different. And, and often, I realise, because I've been in your place many, many times, and there's this fight that goes on right now that goes, I really do want to, but I really don't want to, okay? Well, just stick two fingers up to the thought that says I don't want to, and go do it, all right? Yeah? Can we do that? I don't, I'm just trying to get you. Okay. All right. You, you play that. Can you play that song? Sorry, I have to turn my phone off. All right. I want us to just, let's just stand and listen. And musicians, if you can come up and get ready, I'll go straight into.